The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed during this or any broadcast belong solely to our guests or our hosts. These broadcasts do not represent or reflect the views of their employers, sponsors, or affiliated organizations. Welcome to the Flipboard EDU podcast with your host, William Jeffrey, where we collaborate, communicate, and educate with the greatest educators in the world on Flipboard. Let's start the show. What's up, Flipboard fam? This is your favorite coach, Coach Jeffrey, and I'm here with the incomparable Stacey Boudry. And in this episode, we continue our conversation with the author, George Kuros, about the valuable professional learning connections for educators. George clarifies the networker characteristic, which is one of the eight characteristics of an innovative mindset that he wrote about in this book. He details the importance of interacting online and how to establish connections with fellow educators for the start of school in the fall. We asked George about ways to embrace meaningful change as states and schools are opening up with various restrictions, requiring educators to adjust to yet another new reality. So join us as we collaborate, communicate, and educate with the best educators in the world right here on Flipboard EDU Podcast. Welcome back from our break, Flipboard fam. Uh, George, I have a question for you. One of the eight characteristics of an innovative mindset that you wrote about is the networker. You quoted Stephen Johnson saying, chance favors the connected mind. During the era of COVID-19, where so many people are social distancing, what are some of the things teachers can do to grow their academic networks? Well, I think a lot of times when I'm asked this question, because I'm very active on Twitter, I obviously use things like Instagram, Facebook. The thing that people always point to right away is like, hey, who would you suggest to follow? Right. And on any given day, and we were just talking on the break about how much we love basketball. Uh, like there's a lot of things I'm known for in education, but I might not feel like talking about education that day. And I might just talk basketball. And that does happen, right? Like when the NBA finals last year, I was talking basketball all the time. So if you said you should follow George Gross, he'll really help you as an educator. And then you see for two weeks, I'm just talking about basketball. You're like, well, what's the point? So what I always point people to is find the hashtag of the subject you're teaching. So if you're like a science teacher, side chat is a really great start because you're not only connecting with science teachers, but you're getting people to like actually connect talking about, you know, science instruction, teaching and learning with the science class. And like, if I show you a list of a hundred kindergarten teachers, that doesn't mean you're talking about kindergarten, but if you go to hashtag kinder chat, you're actually seeing mm-hmm. educators talk about that. So it's really trying to find those spaces where it is valuable. And the other part of it too, and I think this is really important to me. I have a lot of followers on Twitter and that's awesome. Like I appreciate all the people I've connected with, but I really believe there are tons of educators out there who have like 10, 20, 30 followers or less, or maybe none who have amazing ideas and they're sharing in those spaces. And so I don't want to just equate followers with knowledge or followers with ability. At one point I started with zero followers as did everyone else but I still think I had very valuable ideas. And so when you look to those spaces, you're actually seeing educators 
doing that work right now and connecting in that space. So anyone that's listening, what I would suggest is try to find the one hashtag that's most applicable to you and start there. And you'll, you'll start building a network. You'll start connecting with people based on what they're talking about, what they're sharing. But you'll see that it's really actually tailored to what you're trying to accomplish in your work. Yeah, exactly. So you mentioned also that for educators to embody the innovative mindset, it is imperative that leaders create a culture where the eight characteristics are not only accepted, but encouraged. What would you say to a teacher whose school culture did not have an innovative mindset, but he or she wanted to embed it in their classroom? Well, I think to me, this is a lot harder uh, to do it when your administrators maybe are focused on very rigid. One of the things I've always struggled with is to say, I'm trying to do this, but I also have to teach to a script, which to me, uh, I'll be honest with you, if if you asked me to teach the script, I probably wouldn't teach because it'd be really, really hard for me to do that because I think it actually takes out the personality of an educator and I don't want everyone to be the same. I actually want those different experiences. That's when we actually teach to a script many times, it's actually not honoring the kids in front of you, as we were talking about earlier, that when you're so stuck on this, you don't actually see the differences in your students, like from class to class, from year to year, and how you tap into that. And so for me, as an educator, doing this work in a district where you feel maybe it's not valued, I think it's really trying to focus on what's best for kids, starting from there, and doing that. And actually, if you have an administrator that maybe doesn't value some of these things, I think it's really an opportunity for people to lead up. Like we always think that it's the principal who's going to actually lead the change, but it can be anybody in that organization. But you do have, like it is extremely helpful if you get the administrators to actually be a part of this. And one of the things that I always suggest to people is if you want to try something new, you want to try something different. When you have a conversation with an administrator who may be resistant to something, Start the conversation off with, hey, you and I are here to do what's best for kids, right? And you want them to confirm that answer, right? You already know the answer. It's going to be yes. But you want to put that seed in their head right away. Like, we're here to do what's best for kids. Now, what your role is, is to show what that new idea that you want to try, how it's really going to be beneficial to your kids. And then you come back in conversation. So since, you know, I proved it based on all the stuff I'm saying, and we both agreed we're here to do what's best for kids, what do you think? And actually having that conversation through that process. Because sometimes I think we have to help center people on what we're trying to focus on, but we get lost in the stuff. Like when I used to have parents and we'd have some really tough conversations, I would always recenter the conversation like, hey, you and I are here to do what's best for your child, right? And I think it kind of like reminds people what we're trying to do. But I think sometimes we forget it and all the... I don't want to say that, oh, it's like principals doing this because principals got pressure from central office and et cetera, et cetera. And they want to do a good job too. Like nobody's trying to make sure teachers aren't doing certain things, right? They want them all to do what's best for kids. But it's really trying to help guide because I think that when I became a principal, the person I hired as my assistant principal was a teacher from my old school who pushed me as an assistant principal made me better. And she led up all the time and she was so beneficial that I was like, Hey, I really want this person in my school. And she did it from a a teacher role. Mm -hmm. They're like, everyone has the ability to lead if you believe you can do so. Yeah, I agree with that a hundred percent. 
And leadership does not come with a title. It's something that can be ingrained. Students can be leaders, too. So I appreciate you bringing that out. Stacy. take it away. Leading back to learner-driven evidence, how do we ensure our students are receiving an equitable education through learner-driven evidence? And I bring that up because that's the word I've been hearing as we go through COVID and we're uh, working online. What's equitable? Well, I think it's really identifying that it's not the same thing for every kid. And I think that's actually one of the one of the issues is that we want to do the same thing for every kid. And you, you always say, you know, like, what's fair? But really, right. what is actually beneficial to one kid might actually be detrimental to the other. So really, when we're talking about creating like those opportunities that are meaningful to those kids, it's understanding who the kids are and actually trying to like elevate and find better ways to do what they need. And there's a really good example. And of course, there's other issues that to address. But one of the things that I find really fascinating is, are you actually trying to create equity of opportunity at the highest level? And I'll give you an example of this. When it first came out that all this stuff was happening, what you saw with some school districts was they were saying, look, this is not really fair because we have kids who have access to Wi-Fi, laptops, and we have some kids who don't. So we shouldn't do anything. So what they said, let's create equity at the worst level possible. We don't want any kids to feel bad. So one of the school districts I refer to all the time is West Dallas and Milwaukee, high poverty area just outside of Milwaukee. And Deidre Raymer, she's a very good friend of mine, and she's one of the best leaders I've ever met. Just incredible. So within probably a week, she had told me that they have 8,000 kids in their school district, and they had actually got a hold of all but 18 kids within three days, with, like by phone, which is insane to wow. me, right? Like the number of That's calls. impressive. And, and they actually, they, they got a hold of all of them. They just, it was like when I talked to her within the first three days, she had only not got hold of 18. So what they had asked is said, okay, who actually has access to stuff? Who needs it? Who needs, you know, do you need Wi-Fi? So what they said is like, we have kids who have access to this stuff. We have kids who don't have access. We got to figure out a way to get this in their hands. And they're creating equity at the highest levels. And they're ensuring that we're elevating people through that process. And like, you know, like I said earlier, just getting Wi-Fi in the hands of a kid isn't going to ensure incredible learning, right? There's all these other factors. But it is a starting point. And I think those conversations are really important. Is like, how do you actually go from a framework where you're actually elevating and trying to find success? But it's like I said earlier, understanding that every kid is different and they have different needs, but providing the same thing actually isn't necessarily beneficial. So if you say to me, hey, we want every kid to do like an oral presentation on this. What if English is not my first language, right? So right away, you put me in a situation. So the focus is like, we want every kid to be able to understand this, but let's actually talk with the kids and say, what is the best way for you to actually share this learning? And, you know, as we were talking about this earlier with William, really understanding the culture there, the values and all those things. And how do we actually bring that to the forefront? And what I think is really something I struggle with all the time is when we talk about success in school, it's like we're all trying to get kids to come out the same way. And like, really, is that what we want? Do we want kids that have different strengths, talents, but all come out with the same thing? What I always say is our job is to help kids find success in a meaningful way, a pathway to success in a meaningful way to them. That is important to me. Both of you probably see yourself as successful 
in, in different ways. But you're actually, your measure of success could be totally different on what you see as successful. But then we actually make a kid feel less because they can't do these academic things, but they have these skills in other ways. And we have to value that and actually bring it to the forefront. Like when I used to hire people on my staff, I know this is going to sound weird. I would actually look for people who don't think like me because I don't need another me. I already got me, right? Exactly. I need other people. And part of it was I wanted so many different perspectives, but it also created more spaces for people to feel comfortable talking to different people on my team, right? right? If everyone's just like, if they know they're going to get the George answer from any one of my five teams, then what's the point, right? I need right. People, people to feel comfortable going to different spaces. Uh, George, now, now George, now hold up now. How can you be a principal and you don't want the George answer? I mean, seriously. I mean, come on. We need to, there's got to be some yes people on your staff. No, like I never. I actually. I have that growth mindset. I actually. So this is a this is a true story. So I actually had no interest in becoming an administrator. None at all. I wanted to do tech leadership stuff, but it was in summer, and an assistant principal job opened up. And my principal at the time said, you should apply. I'm like, I don't really want to do that. And she's like, yeah, apply. I applied for this job. And I think I actually, I'm not even kidding. I think I got the interview because nobody knew it was posted because it's like middle of summer. So like oh, wow. no one like, so there's like probably very few candidates, right? Mm -hmm. So then I got an interview and I was just blown away. I couldn't even believe I got an interview. So I actually went to the interview and it was a gentleman named Archie Lillico. And we actually um, had an interview and I know this is going to sound weird. About 10 minutes in, we were yelling at each other. Like we were actually screaming and we were arguing about stuff. And I actually like walked out of that room and I was sweating. Like I was just, I was like, what just happened? What, that was the weirdest experience I've ever had. Oh. Like I actually fought with a person and I'm, I don't think I'm a disagreeable person. And so like I called my principal and I said, I had the worst interview. It was terrible. Like, and she's like, just, you know, Archie is a little bit different. Just, you know, trust the process. So then he calls me and he said, Hey, you know, like it was a really interesting interview. I just want to let you know, we we're going to offer you the job. And I'm like, what are you talking about? That's insane. And he said, you're the only person who challenged me on anything. I said, you're the only person. And I actually want that. So as a team, when we make a decision, we got to all be on the same page. We got to be there, but I do not want you to ever let me walk out of that room thinking I did something stupid and then letting everyone else tell me. <laughs> oh, that's, so that, that's, that's that horrible. You're right. You're right. You're right. That was actually the start of my admin career was basically. And so him and I, we, like people laugh because we would go in his office and you'd hear screaming and yelling. And then we would walk out, we're laughing and smiling. And they're like, what are we, Oh, we're just talking. But that was his expectation for me was to say, no, I don't agree with you. And here's why, because ultimately if they have to make decisions, do not let the decision be stupid and hold that inside of you. Right. I don't need you to agree with me. I need you to make sure we're doing the right thing. Right. And, and so I vote that. Yeah. Like I actually, I know it sounds weird. I made sure to surround myself with people who, you know, we have the same vision. Like we all wanted to help kids. We want to do this, but we thought different. Yeah. That's really important. To me. Yes. The relationship factor uh, in that with your supervisor, it seems that your supervisor had a very focused view on decision making and relationship building as well, because it seems as if he understands that a diverse mindset is important to the structure mm -hmm. of a team. Yeah, absolutely. I work with a lot of school districts and that can be something an easy trap to fall into because we feel that it's much easier to get the work done when we actually just have people that agree with us, right? Because then we don't see as conflict 
But I see that conflict as part of the learning. That's actually really important. But that being said, the thing that my Archie and I knew about each other, we like loved each other. We had so much respect for one another (laughs) and we were always focused on the same thing. And so you have to create those teams where conflict is encouraged, but you all know that you're doing it for the right reasons and you have each other's back. And I think sometimes in education, the conflict is, is not about the idea. It's about the personality. And I think that's where we get lost sometimes. Excellent. Excellent. So, uh, it has now been 30 minutes. I want to thank you for your time <laughs> and dealing with our internet issues. Uh, sir, we really appreciate it, man. Thank you for just giving us some knowledge that we can share with our listeners. And um, hopefully you'll come back on the show, right? Yeah, I would love to. It was great, great chat with you. I love the talking about basketball over the break. So I'm a little disappointed we didn't do it in the podcast. Hey, man. Like, like talk about the Toronto Raptors being an NBA champion. Oh, <laughs> man. Right That's crazy how mistakes happen. That is so crazy. You know, you know, hey, man, just to let you know from an old basketball coach, man, uh, broke clock is right two times a day. Just want to let you know that. Yeah. <laughs> or two years in a row. Either way. <laughs> two years in a row, too. Oh, man. Uh, I, I, like, I love this because I get to talk about education all the time, but I think, you know, that the personal stuff really matters to me. So I, I appreciate you. We have to chat about that stuff. Yeah. Hey, man, that's cool. And, you okay. know, relationships are big to us all. Um, if it wasn't mm-hmm. the relationship, I worked with Stacy probably eight years ago and Milstead, I worked with him two years ago. So, uh, hey, man, we're relationship people over here. And now you yep. in the family. So, you know, we, right. <laughs> you know, we'll, right. you know we would definitely love to have you on. And I just want to thank you again for your time, sir. And uh, you have a great you oh, oh, before you get well, off, before you get off. What yep. else are you doing? This is going to air two weeks from now. So what else are you doing? Uh, what am I doing? Well, yes, right now I'm actually working with a lot of school districts, kind of helping them through. Um, you know, the pandemic stuff. And one of the things that I've really focused on people is like to understand this is not virtual learning. This is not blended learning. This is emergency remote teaching. And that's not my term. Yeah. I read an article and it's actually really powerful. And I actually spent six days working with California virtual academies when this all happened. Okay. And really what was interesting is this is a virtual school. So the school is basically hundred percent online. And we had planned to work together, I think, you know, end of February to have some time in April to work together. Mm-hmm. And then all this pandemic stuff happened. And immediately I said, hey, like, hey, what's going on? And she's like, oh, no, no, we got to postpone. I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, you're a virtual school. This is like, this is your jam, this is, right? This is it. This is the it. This is your time, right? Right. right. And so I, I couldn't understand it because I'm like, this doesn't make any sense. And what I understood through that process was as I got to know them and got to work with them, that they have like, say, four kids in the family, right? One's a gymnast, though, and they have to do online learning because of their practice schedule, right? Mm -hmm. But all of a sudden, the three kids that go to a public school are all now home. There's two devices in the house, Mm -hmm. and now there's four kids who need access to this stuff. So it it wasn't that they couldn't do it. It was the context of everyone's family was changed. Now I'm a teacher at that school. All of a sudden my partner's home because of work stuff, right? right? So right. all these things change. And I think that really helped me understand how hard this is for a brick and mortar teacher. Because if you're, if you're a virtual school and you're having issues with this stuff too, yeah. imagine like this is not even your environment in the first place yeah. and routine. So really what I've been doing, and this is what ties into my work with the innovators mindset my focus has always been how do you get people to embrace meaningful change? 
And so it's kind of like brought my work back to the forefront Mm -hmm. because this is basically what I've been doing for years. Right. And it's, yeah, like, Hey, change is, change is actually a good thing. And really it's an opportunity to do some really amazing things. And so what you're seeing is, um, and this is the last thing I know you asked me a question. It's supposed to be a quick answer, but it's kind of go on. (laughs) There is a gentleman, I think his name is Daniel Hodge. Mm -hmm. He actually tweeted something really powerful. And I I would guess he doesn't have even a thousand followers. Right. And I, when I say even like, that's, you know, a thousand followers is a lot, but I saw his tweet and you see like great stuff. It doesn't matter how, how many followers you have. Um, it, it kind of rises up, but he actually shared um, something that was really powerful and resonated with me. He said, I talked to my students uh, about the things that they liked about remote teaching and they listed 20 things. And now I actually have a new list of things I'm going to do different next year when we're back in school. Wow. And that to me is what we're trying to do is really like this, this sucks. This is really hard work, but how do we actually look at the opportunities that when we go back, we appreciate the people we work with a lot more, yeah. but we actually create really meaningful opportunities and we focus on what's important because I think through all of this, it's actually really made us feel like what is actually really important in education. And so that's, Long story short, that's what I've been doing, um, is really connecting and working with these school districts to kind of help them navigate this change so that when they come back, they're way better than when they left. Yes. The book is, your title of your book is Innovate Inside the Box. Innovate yeah, is that's mindset. the latest one. Yes, yeah, that's the Innovate Inside the Box is the latest one, and Innovator's Mindset is uh, the kind of cornerstone where that was all based. Yes. And you know what? You're psychic because what you did was you wrote a book that's needed now. And then the other book is just going to just shape out COVID. So <laughs> you got a little uh, game to your Toronto Raptorness. <laughs> that's right. It's a little we're, we're just, you know, like we're, we're just a little bit ahead here in yeah, Canada. Yeah, all yeah, time, right? yeah, slightly. Winning NBA. We've invented <laughs> basketball. So. <laughs> well, okay. Look, that up. Look hey. it up. Hey, we man. didn't perfect it, but we <laughs> Okay, now listen. Now we're really going to close it. Hey, Amen. <laughs> so uh, where, can, where, can, where can our guests find you if they never heard of George Kuros? Where can we find you at? Yeah, the best space is actually my digital portfolio is georgekuros.com. Uh, but you can find me on Twitter at gkuros, Instagram at gkuros. If you're listening to this right now, I'd love to hear your questions, love to hear your thoughts. I try my best to kind of keep up with it. But yeah, please share. I'd, I'd love to hear from you. Yeah, you do. You're a very active and very personable, approachable person, and we greatly appreciate it. All right, we want thank to thank you, you and um, we'll definitely have you back on the show. Yeah, I would love that. You have a great thank night. You. Thanks for having me. Okay, good night. Wonderful. Thank you. Good night. Do you know what time it is? It's time for Flip Tip. Today's Flip Tips are brought to you by the homegirl, Terry Porter. Flipboard and hashtag, are they a match made in heaven? Well, if you're a Flipboard curator, then you'll be searching for content on Flipboard for your magazines. Don't just stop at regular searches. You need to search using hashtags on Flipboard too. This blog post can be found on medium.com and in our Flipboard EDU podcast magazine written by none other than Terry Porter. Hey, Terry, thanks for sharing. Flipboard fam, thanks for tuning in to episode six. Do not forget to check out the information that I flipped about George in our Flipboard EDU podcast magazine on Flipboard.com. I also wanted to thank the good buddy George for being on the show. We had some internet issues during his recording and he was a champ about it. 
It's always good to work with people who walk what they talk. Go get George's books, The Innovator's Mindset, and Innovate Inside the Box. Stay tuned right here next week as we will be speaking to the community of contributors on Flipboard. Subscribe to our Flipboard EDU podcast magazine.